Time to sharpen up your incisors as we prepare to chomp and bite down into another episode of Bitten Peach Pod. This is the podcast where two queer Asian experts come together to discuss things that they know about or wish they knew about or plan to one day know about. Basically, we can talk about whatever we want. We just have to be queer and Asian, which honestly, we couldn't stop doing even if we tried. So today, as always, I am your host. I am Shay Shay, half Irish, half Japanese, American writer, producer, director, currently nasaler than ever. My California roots are really making a comeback. I am recovering from none other than COVID-19. Yes, despite being vaccinated, despite getting negative lateral fo- flow tests, I did indeed somehow still get COVID. Just so y'all know, you can get it even if you're vaccinated. The rapid flow tests are only 57.5% effective, which is very, that's a failing grade. I'm an Asian. That would have failed me out of math class. But I'm back on the mend. The the nasal is remaining, though. I'm pretending it's kind of like a sexy thing. And today, ready to natter away with me, biting down into all things queer Asian culture, I have a bendy, 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 bendy person. A flipper and a dipper and a, and a hoop, hooping, hooping and hollering. <laughs> Please welcome, you know them from the sky. But here they are on the ground, and here they are in your ears. Welcome to your listening experience. It's Zaki Musa! Hi, how are you doing? I'm actually, despite sounding, I feel like I sound a lot worse than I am. I'm feeling tremendously better compared to how I was. That's good to hear. Well, first of all, I think you look amazing right now. I know listeners can't see, but you look glowing. I don't know what you're doing with the light, but you look amazing. So that's all that matters. I'd like everyone to know the secret of this uh, because the, the podcast can be also a visual experience. The touch up your appearance feature on Zoom coming through for me. It is a thing. <laughs> it's a thing, darling. I'm also sat in the window so that the light can pour in through my net curtain, which kind of diffuses the light. So yes, feeling gorgeous, despite the, um, that, you know, illness that's plaguing the nation, which at the time of this recording, we've just, uh, gotten news from the prime minister, Sideshow Bob, that there is going to be no restrictions as of July 19th. Nothing. Not, not a one. It's ridiculous. Not a Amazing. It's 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 disappeared, you know. You're the last you're the Just last done. person that got COVID and then that's it. We're Ah, <laughs> oh, I'm so honored. I'm the last person to have gotten COVID. Uh, oh, isn't that nice of me to take one for the team? I just I'm I'm so amazed that like there's nothing like if you come into contact with someone that had COVID, you don't you can just go about your business. You can keep you can keep spitting on people on the tube because guess what you don't have to even wear a mask on public transport not that anyone was motherfucking doing it have you heard of the trust uh, tech uh test and track and trace app i haven't you haven't heard of it no from july 19th i would have never heard of it (laughs) i was about to say i'm 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 not that surprised you haven't heard of it because it's so shit and like it's so badly made and like no one knows how it works (laughs) 
it's not linked with like private testing no. or anything. So it's just, I mean, we might as well throw it out. It's taking up valuable space on my phone, which is constantly running out of memory. I don't understand. Apple is always like, you're running out of space. You're running out of space. Do you want to buy more space? And I'm like, no, I don't want to buy any more space. Then one day I cave, I buy more space. And then I swear, not, not but a month later, I am out of space again. And I think, but I'm in the cloud. My things are in the cloud. Whenever I try to access any photo, they're on the cloud. So how is there no space on my phone? Did you not get the two terabyte option? You need to go one up. You need to. (sighs) Girl, I need to upgrade again, I suppose. I feel like I'm at the two terabyte. I've upgraded at least three times over the past five years. And I swear to you, there's never any space. I mean, it's because I'm constantly screen recording and audio recording pieces of this damn podcast. (laughs) It's because of this podcast. There we go. So the podcast needs to pay for this, but the podcast does not pay for anything. I pay for the podcast because I see the great value in getting Asians together on Zoom. (laughs) Oh, maybe post-restrictions I could actually record in person. You could. You could. Like a whole studio situation. A studio. Oh, that sounds like it's going to cost more money, which, as we know, is all going to my Apple storage. Uh, So, darling, welcome to the pod. I'm so happy to have you here. You know, usually you're busy on a hoop uh, in the air. But here, you've come down to Earth to grace me with your presence. Would you... Tell me just a little bit about how one ends up becoming an aerial performer. You know what? Like your 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 guess is as good as mine. I have no idea how I got here. Um, I'll tell you a quick one. I mean, it's not really a quick story, but basically, um, you know, I'm from Singapore, and I was quite an unfit kid. I'm jumping kind of questions because I know you'll ask me a couple of questions later, but. Um, I was a really unfit kid. Like we have this fitness test that we have to take every year um, before we go to the army. So um, before all you boys, go to the army, yeah, because in As Singapore, children? <laughs> after your A levels, uh, it is mandatory uh, national service. Is what it's called. So it's conscription for two years, and it takes away the best years of your life. It's from nineteen to twenty one because it's kind of two years in, in between. So I did it from when I was 19 to 21. But every year from when you're, I think, like nine until you're 18, you have to take a national fitness test. It's called NAFA. Singapore, we love our acronyms. So it means oh, yeah. national some, um, something fitness something. I don't know. Mm-hmm, um, and then yes. you get, obviously, you get awards. You get gold, you get silver, you get bronze. Um, actually, after you finish the military, they still make you take it until you're 40. And if you get gold, you get money. You get like $300 or something. And then there's always an incentive for you to Wait. be physically fit. <laughs> you're telling me someone in their 30s every year has to like turn up and do a fitness test? Oh yeah, it is. It's awful. I mean, and is that everyone or is that quote unquote men only? Yeah, unfortunately, it's men only. So that's what gender. it is. Gender. There's actually been a lot of um, debate in the past few years of whether it should still be there, whether it should, whether it should be shorter because it's two years, and they they almost wanted to make it one year. Whether women should be involved. Um, because it's about your service to the nation. Uh, but I think the main part of it is that it's almost become like a rite of passage. So the people that have 
been against making the national service a shorter are mostly people in society where they're like, no, like it needs to be this long because uh, this is how we teach our men how to be men, you know? And I was like, mm, sure, <laughs> let's go oh, do Oh, God. That's where men learn how to be men by doing physical activities. Well, I mean, they nope. make, okay, well, I can't go too much into it, but <laughs> we have to make our beds, you know? It's like, I mean, you know, because I cannot learn how to make, we have to make, we can't beds. learn how to make yes. our beds outside of the army. We have to learn how to make our beds, with yes. polish our boots, you know, that kind of. Shazam. I have a question. When you're in the service, do you like live at home and report there during the day or do you live somewhere? So um, the first year, normally what happens is you live redacted uh, on somewhere else on a training uh, camp and you have to stay there and you can only go home on the weekends. Um, and so this is, I guess this is part of me being a great Asian, but what happens is that you're you're with this a platoon is what they're called I think, um, mm-hmm. and you're there from Monday till Saturday and you get a small window to go back home basically to do your laundry, but because we're all stuck there together on the day off, all the members of the platoon would go and meet to play football on their day off anyway, and I was like I already am stuck with you guys six days a week. And then yeah. on my day off, I don't want to be going in. It's a miserable time. So it was a very interesting experience. That's let's get to that. Wait, wait, but that, so, so this is somehow going to lead us to the area. To how I got into it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I forgot. I forgot that that was even we, the route we were taking. We forgot the question. I like weaving. <laughs> I like going in different directions. Okay. Let's take those tangents. Let's ride them to the edge. Perfect. All right. Let's go back to the main question. I was an unfit quid. Like, so we have this national fitness test where you have like five stations. So it's like, you have to do pull-ups. Um, I could not do a pull-up to save my life. No. It's obviously very different to me now. Um, I did one you once. Know, so proud of myself. It's hard. It's also unnecessary in daily life. When are you ever going to pull up? Ever, unless you're on a hoop, I guess. Like, other than that, like, not really. So, um, and so it's the national, it consists of like five things. So it's a pull-ups. That was like a, a 2.4 kilometer run. And you had to do it under like 16 minutes. I always failed that one. I'm not. Mm-hmm. a cardio person i'm not a fitness person and then there was like i can't remember what other stations one the best one was sit and reach so yes yeah, sit and reach uh, do you know sit and reach do you yeah. know sit and reach? Ah. i feel like these this is the same things that we're tested on in america okay oh really okay it's so probably- tell me about the sit and reach <laughs> so you sit and there's like a box at the edge of your feet uh-huh. And on the box, there's like, like a ruler. Like mar- like a ruler, yeah. yeah. And then you have to like reach past your toes over the box. Okay. And maybe you have to like hold, like I think you actually have to hold it for a moment or two. You can't yeah. just like, you can't just lunge forward and get okay. get a high score. So you have, you have had these fitness tests as well growing up. Yes. Yes. I mean, this sounds American. Where Singapore is um, very completely plain. Not, not. Not, not that I'm saying like America <laughs> no, no, no. type of of fitness, but I think we did the same okay. things, and we had to do them every year as well. They weren't like to prepare you to like go do any sort of okay. military service, but yeah, we had to run uh, crunches. That was one crunches, pull ups, the sit and reach. reach. Yeah. Oh, the last all... one was I remember what it was. It was standing broad jump. So you stood from one place, and then you had to like pretend, like you had to hop, like you had to 
physically oh. jump like two meters and then that would mm. be a pass or something. Did you have that? I do recall standing and jumping and then like the teacher measuring from the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. Yeah, that must have been like for a test. But the worst, the worst was always the pull-ups because the teacher could only ever watch one person at a time doing it. And so you had to go up and try to do this pull-up in front of everyone. And I swear to you, I was lucky if I could even get, like, my arm to contract, like, an inch. I would just be there, like, ex- like straining, trying, and there'd be no movement. I feel your pain. Um, so the thing is, if you're a boy, like, because you're supposed to be preparing for the army, if you failed one of the stations, you had to retake the whole thing. Which makes no sense, because no. if I failed, how was I going to get better the next week at something I failed at? Like, there is no thing. So I, I was in this constant, like, purgatory where I just had to retake the test a million times because I would never pass. So it was just awful for me. Uh, but the point is, I was unfit. This is me illustrating it. Um, and then I started dancing when I was 18. I think when I was doing my A-levels, I was like, you know what? I grew up watching so you can so you can dance like loads. The, and I was, the, was there a, was there a Singapore version? No. So the thing with Singapore, as we'll talk about more, it's it's a very strange place. Obviously, we were boo a British colony, but like a lot of our mainstream culture is all kind of imported from America. So I watched you know like Travis Wall, Benji, yes, whoever. Oh and I, yes, you are speaking my language. You're that like, was yes. my. My favorite season was Travis's season, but I went and saw the actual tour the following season. No, you did not. Who was that? I did. Who who won that season? Uh, The winner was Sabra, who I did not, I was not really a big fan of. Can we just say that they were tired of letting, like, pretty white men win? Can we, we can say that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, that season was also Benji's sister, Lacey Schwimmer. Of course, Lacey, so you think yes. You could dance. That was its peak era. It was. So I grew up, I remember from like maybe 14 to 16, I was like, this is like, I've always wanted to dance. And Singapore. You watched and you thought, you thought, you know what? I think I can dance. I want to do it. Well, no, I was like, you know what? I really want to do it. I mean, like, I didn't think I could dance. I still don't think I can dance right now. It's a, it's a, it's an iffy topic, but I wanted to do it so bad, but Singapore is quite a, we're very academic focused. It's very like, you know, like work now, play when you're dead, like when you're 59 mm-hmm. and then maybe you're almost retiring. So I was trying to get friends to join me because, you know, like as a boy, as a queer young boy, well, I wasn't, I wasn't out then, um, queer boy in Singapore. I, I was like, I didn't want to go to a dance class alone. I felt really like, scene and i was just like oh like it'll be so honey um, that is a universal feeling exactly i'm sure well yeah besides being queer going to the dance class for the first time in your life is difficult Mm. (laughs) Mm. and um i was like at 18 i was like you know what i'm just gonna do it i'm just gonna go i'm gonna i'm gonna do it like so I went to like a lyrical jazz class. I was like, yes, oh, this, is, this is for me. <laughs> you watched So You Think You Can Dance and you were like, hmm, I'm gonna, ooh, I'm, ooh, lyrical jazz. That's the one for me. Absolutely. Hello. It was like, uh, what was Marina the choreographer's the name that was so amazing that always did, um, Mia Michaels? Mia Michaels, yeah. Mia- <laughs> Thank you. It was, yeah. No, but I'm obsessed. I, I'm, I'm so sorry for people who, don't, who didn't watch Sonia Nuts, but I'm obsessed with Sonia Taye. 
Like she oh. was beautiful. She is. You know beautiful. what? Let's give them some homework. Okay. <laughs> if you'd like to know what we're talking about, you can go on the YouTube and watch. So you think you can dance or S Y T Y C D as us in the know call it. <laughs> I would say a great place to start is the group number opening to Ramalama Bang Bang by Richard oh Murphy, where they're dressed as freaking zombies. It is iconic, and I swear to you, it changed high school level dance in America <laughs> for the next few years. Everything got, like, weird and, like, kooky. And, like, every time I went to, like, a big dance show for, like, the school dance teams, they were doing, like, dark-inspired stuff, and I was like, oh, I see you. I see you with your Ramalama Bang Bang inspiration. Isn't that where, uh, isn't that the season with Mark Kanemura? Um, is that the same season? Maybe. Mark Kanemura, a queer Asian icon, hello? I feel like, exactly. (laughs) I remember when he was on the show, I was just like, oh my god, you're amazing. An Asian person. Not not Asian and like, very like flamboyant and weird. Do you remember his his uh, pinkies? No. <laughs> no, but I remember his frog routine where he he always looked like he was a frog. And now he's like an internet sensation. Like everyone knows. I was like, I knew Mark Kanemura before all of you did. Yes, all you bitches. <laughs> we knew him when he was dancing for his life. <laughs> anyway, I digress. We digress. Uh, back to saying in that. So yeah, I did lyrical jazz. You know, it was to... I remember, like, the first career I learned was to Sweet Dreams by Beyonce. It was Marina and Oh, I thought, I thought you were going to say Sweet Dreams by the Arrhythmics. No. no. No, 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 Beyonce, we are we are dating ourselves at a very specific era. We must be around the same age. Wait, how old are you? Can we say that? I am 30 that? years old. I am also 30, so there we go. Aha. <laughs> yes. A good year, a, a fine year. wine. Amazing. 91. Um, and like Marina Diamonds, what was the song? She had like one of her first songs. Um, um Hollywood. Dime, oh no. Diamonds? Is that a yeah, song? Yeah, Marina. No, Wait. maybe. Did she have a song called Diamonds? Oh, so the album was called The Family Jewels. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. on the album, she had, there's nothing, there's nothing like Diamonds. She had a song called Obsessions. Obsessions. There we go. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Still her best album. It's, it's still like a twig. Exactly. It's 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 gorgeous. Um, but the point is, I started there, and I was like feeling my oats. You know, I was like, yes, I'm 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 giving you, reaching for, you know, the the hope that has disappeared from my life or whatever it is people do in lyrical jazz. And my my teacher was like, you know what, like. Why didn't you start ballet so that you can get more technique? And I was like, sure. And this was at what age? At when I was eighteen, I started dancing when so I was eighteen. Was this not also when you started the service? No, this is like a year before. Oh yeah, the service is nineteen to twenty-one. Right. Okay. It was. I did a couple of grades of ballet then, so I I was like, she. I was the only boy. Uh, of course, as as you are, you know, um, in a ballet class school situation, I, exactly. Um, you know, did a couple of grades and then I went to the army and yeah, that was a tough time. Uh, but the second year yeah. you could leave in the evening. So you would be there. I would be there from 6 a.m. till 7 p.m. Um, and then had to take a bus from the camps because they're all quite relatively remote to the Sydney center. It would take me an hour. I'll be super cranky down any kind of food. It normally was Long John Silver because it was the closest thing I could find. And then dance from 8 p.m. till 11 p.m. every day. 
in, so I, ba- in classes. Yeah, basically, I, I auditioned for this dance program. Wow. Like, it was like a one-year kind of part-time intensive program for for people who are aspiring to be dancers in Singapore, which is not a very big thing. If, if context of Singapore, obviously, I said, like, it's a very academic space. There's not really much space for the art. So for you to even consider a dancer's career, there are probably, like, five jobs. I know all the dancers who are working in Singapore. They've been there forever. Yeah, so I, I managed to get in. We were doing ballet, tap, jazz, hip-hop, uh, lindy hop, you know, uh, salsa, all the Everything. part of dancers. I, I hate it. I could not do it. I was like, fuck this. No. Really I, preparing I you for that so you think you can dance on Literally, lifestyle. I was living I was living that so you think you can dance dream. But they started Ariel. Um, because ah. at that time, there was no one in Singapore did it. Because Singapore is a very small island. It takes you two hours to get from one point to the other. It's smaller than London, I think. Don't fact check me. But it's it's smaller than London. So everything that we have, we have to import. Uh, we don't have a, we don't have any natural resources, um, and everything that you want, it's all important. So a lot of our culture was important. So I think the founders of this dance studio, it was called Jitterbugs, you know, saw circus as a thing in the U.S. that was happening as a recreational activity, and they brought this um, pageant queen. Her name is Jenny Lee, and she is she was a pageant queen from I want to say Texas. And when you say pageant queen, do you mean? A drag queen, or like, <laughs> or like Miss Texas, Miss Texas, nineteen fifty-seven. She was a mixed Miss Texas queen, and she would wear mm. this pink juicy couture uh, sweatsuit oh, with her name Jenny her Lee in in rhinestone sparkle and an arc like behind on the back of her jacket. That's how. That's where I learned yes. this. Jenny Lee. So she she came. I'm not even sure pronouncing her name right. It's, it's Jenny. Oh no, Jenny Lee. Jenny Lee. Was she Asian? No, no, no. Jenny Lee. Jenny Lee. Is that like like O L E I G H? Jenny Lee. Yeah. Jenny Lee. Okay. So they brought her all the way down to Singapore to teach us how to do Ariel. But she was also obviously a performer at uh, Sentosa, which is this like resort island that Singapore has. Do you do you know much about Singapore? Do you, I don't know what you know about Singapore. Um, I know some stuff, but I've already learned a lot. And I I forgot to ask you the question. Uh-huh. And ahead. I feel like we're already talking about it. So <laughs> I feel like I'm going to interject and I'm going to ask everybody's favorite question. It, uh, you know what? I'm sure Jenny Lee sometimes got this question in <laughs> Singapore. People would say... They'd go to her and they'd say, but where are you really from? And I'd like to ask you that same question now, but I'm going to ask it in the style of Jenny Lee. I love it. <clears throat> um, but where are you really from? I'm Jenny Lee. I hope she doesn't listen to this very famous Oh, we love and honor Jenny Lee. We honor (laughs) Jenny Lee and the skills and stuff that she brought with her in the iconic fashion. We love and honor you, Jenny Lee. Um, So, where I'm from, I'm originally from Singapore, and uh, I'm Javanese. That's my ethnicity. I have three um, Indonesian Malay grandparents uh, that come from a place in Indonesia called the... Javanese Java area, so like your Javanese yeah. coffee beans, um, and I have one uh, Chinese grandparent because during that time, obviously Singapore, Asia, Southeast Asian history for you uh, was a British colony, but it got invaded by the Japanese, 
and they were doing all these tortures and um, fucking Japan killing the Chinese fucking Japan Chinese immigrants uh, in Singapore. Um, so what happened during that time was they would um, a lot of the Chinese daughters would get adopted by Malay families. So that I guess you wouldn't question Malay. I actually re- did some reading before this. Um, wouldn't cash question Chinese daughters who were in Malay families because they would be wearing the hijab and assume. Malay dress, and they could mm. pass. They would pass Whoa. as Malay, but it was much harder for a Chinese boy or man to pass in the Malay family because they clearly didn't look Malay. Right. Um, so that was it. So my grandmother is of Teochew descent. She speaks fluent Teochew. And so Teochew. was she adopted into another family? She was adopted into a, a Malay family. And stayed in yeah. that family? Or did she go back yeah. to her? Wow. Yeah. I don't really wow. know uh, it, but it's something that happened quite commonly. Um, even outside of the... Uh, the war time because apparently there were a lot of obviously as we know like in Chinese culture the daughters weren't prized so they would either be killed or given away so I think that that was a thing that happened within not only Singapore but Malaysia as well I feel like we should do fact checking but that is what I was no we never fact check no 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 no. (laughs) people are not here for facts they're here for our first hand accounts of the information that trickled down to us yeah Jenny Lee. Okay, we're going back to Jenny Lee. Got it. <laughs> Jenny Lee is hooping and flooping. Yeah, she taught me. So I did hoop, silks, and trapeze, all of the above. But I think the ice, because I started dance so late, I managed to get this program. All my other uh, people in the program, they started dance when they were, you know, like five or eight. They could tumble and do all these funny things. And I guess for me, it was a way for me to pick something that no one knew experience of. And then I kind of got good at it quite quickly because... I was also, I kind of had the pulling strength because um, in, in high school, I also sailed competitively as a kid. Um, and it's not as bougie as it sounds. Singapore <laughs> is really weird. It's an because island. It is an island, yes. But we're also, education is always at its prime. So we had these extracurricular activities where you were kind of, it was kind of compulsory. You kind of had to do it um, in order to pass school. So in primary school, I did, I was in the chess club, I was in the computer club, I'm such a typical Asian here. Uh, and, and then I joined the brass band, so I played the trombone. Mm, um, that's not an then... easy one. That's <laughs> Do you the play the trombone? No, well, I don't, play I don't the think trombone. it's easy. But it's, uh, it's harder than the other wind brassy instruments because... Brass- it's not purely button based. It's like spatial based. The others, fair yeah, enough. So if, if, from what I know, which is nothing, yes. if someone plays a different one of the instruments in that category, yeah. it's not yeah. that hard to pick up another one and know the basics. Versus trombone, sure. is it? It has its own basics. I mean, it's just placement of where it okay, is. Okay, girl. It's like a sl- <laughs> you're downplaying your skills. I'm trying to say it looks hard. Thank you. I appreciate and it. And I'm impressed. Okay. <laughs> Thank the you. spirit of Jenny Lee is still within me. Got it. I love that. Jenny Lee, I mean, she's still alive. <laughs> and her spirit is here with <laughs> us right now. She's with us right now. Um, and then in, in secondary school, I was like, you know what? I hate I hated the band. I hated the fact that it was a group activity that I had to wait around for other people to get their shit together. I was here. I was like, because trombone is a, ba- a bass instrument. So we had, you know, lots of... Occasionally we had the solos, but most of the time we played... We played... Oh, it was really weird. We played... I will follow him by Sister Act. We played really strange. <laughs> like, like Singapore is such a strange place. 
um but anyway um so i was like i'm done with like group activity so then i went into sailing um and if you didn't take a extracurricular you would you would basically lose out and it was like a grade that could get you into a better school um and it was all kind of heavily funded by the school so i was there as a kid doing this like white rich white person spot sailing it was amazing um and so it was a lot of pulling strength. I was a very scrawny kid, but it was, it's, uh, I don't know how much you know about sailing, but it's a lot of like leaning back and using your core and hoping for dear life that the wind won't like push you into the water. So mm-hmm. I wasn't very good at it, but I competitively did it at, at like an inter-school national level. Uh, so when it came to, sorry, this is a long-winded story, but when it came to uh, Ariel, I get, I had the pulling strength. So mm-hmm. I kind of took to it quite quickly. Um, and then I started teaching, I, I, you know, I, um, teaching back home and then performing, teaching Ariel, teaching Ariel back home so already. So Jenny Lee gave you her blessing and said, go forth child. Well, teach the children. I think Jenny Lee had to leave because she got a better contract somewhere. So, oh, we honor that. We, <laughs> we honor that. Yes, Jenny. Yes, Jenny. So I, I stepped in as an assistant teacher uh, to um, another teacher, Hazel. She's a good friend. Um, shout out to Hazel because actually she was more form. She was she formed a lot of my aerial experience more than Jenny Lee. Hazel. <laughs> okay, we honor you, Hazel. We honor Hazel here on this podcast. We love Hazel. We love you. <laughs> And Hazel, yeah, so I, I assisted for her and then I, I started performing. And then. So, what kind of events would you perform at? Oh, like my where, God. Like, because, so yeah. w- one of the few things I know yes. about Singapore is um, so a performer that was like from Singapore but was living and going to school here and did a little bit with the Bitten Peach while they were here. Uh-huh. Whenever I like keep up to date on what they're up to in Singapore, it's right. very like we're doing this event in a basement and we're not telling anyone. Oh. I mean, they, they do like chair and like pole. Is this lychee bai? Yeah, lychee bai. She is gorgeous. And amazing and wonderful and, and um, so lovely. I mean, also, I mean, their name is just such a good name because obviously it means pussy. Yeah, and yes, <laughs> yes, that's, that's, I forgot. I knew that it had a double meaning. Shout out, we, we honor that. I've never met them, but I've seen her and I was like, that is such a clever name. I love it. And so were you in basements? <laughs> No. It, okay, so it's very problematic. Um, I had like a manager because once you left the program, like you could kind of sign up for the agency. And obviously, being an aerialist is a very new skill. Only a very few places had the capacity to hold aerial, and even till now. So if I did go back, there'd probably be one venue that you could mm-hmm. do aerial at. But at that time, there was Singapore is crazy loaded. So there was a floating nightclub called Avalon. So I a don't know. Floating like, nightclub. Ooh, I love it. Right now, so it was two matching platform like platforms, and one of them ha- still has a giant Louis Vuitton flagship store, and then the other one had this nightclub called Avalon. Um, so I remember going there, and then I was dressed. My manager dressed me. I had this huge faux hawk going on. Uh, that they somehow attached my head, and I was wearing this like mesh camo bodysuit. Sounds hot. It was intense, and apparently, someone in the club said I looked like Tyra Banks, and I didn't know how to feel about that. So <laughs> it was very confusing. <laughs> so we would be on the hoop, and we'd be going up like eight meters in the air. It was it was terrifying. Whoa. But I struggled a lot with it because. Obviously, as a dancer, I think you look at yourself in the mirror and you always tell yourself you're not good enough, which feeds into my whole 
Asian mentality, it's all about like, okay, we're not good enough for various things. But I think when I try to work as a professional aerialist or dancer within such a small industry, my manager would tell me, well, you're not big enough. You're not, you need to put on more weight. You need to be, and then they also, I realized that a lot of the jobs that I would not get would go to let's say it, white, white men, white women who barely even touch aerial, uh, the hoop. Uh, but they, I think in, in, there is a kind of hierarchy and blah, blah system of still wanting to see white performers on stage uh, in Singapore. And that's what happened. Ugh. So I felt really shit about it. Would you be able to yes. enlighten us? Tell me. What is the demographic makeup approximately of Singapore? Right. It is, I think it is 70% Chinese and then 20 something percent Malay, 70, 20, maybe more, maybe 10% I'm 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 getting to the hundred ten percent. I don't South I don't, Asian. You can go over a hundred. <laughs> fine. So seventy percent Chinese, twenty uh, percent Malay, or fifteen seventy percent, ten percent Indian, and then the rest is classified as other. Um, and that was, I mean, that's I've been in London now for eight nine years, but that was probably what it was. Um, I was just curious because, as you were saying, like there is a priority towards seeing white faces and white performers and i was like are there that many white people in singapore and the answer is no not that many well i think in the past few years there has been a shift towards kind of the expat community has been growing because white people are called expats this term i know this term i i don't like it. i can't i don't it. agree with it there's no such thing as an expat either every immigrant is an expat or everyone's a damn immigrant so are we expats we're expats let's take that i uh, no i'm happy to say immigrant i have no problem with being Im- immigrant i think i think the mentality around like there being a negative connotation to that word is like damaging to people yeah (laughs) i really hate especially it like white people from affluent countries moving to quote-unquote like less well-off countries and being expats and opening expat businesses and going to expat bars and hanging out with other expats and i'm like what the fuck is an expat an expatriate like what no Period. no you you're an immigrant i remember growing up and whenever there was a white person on on the tube which it's called the mrt um in singapore there would always be like a group of singaporeans around them laughing at their jokes and like literally like paying attention to them with such oh, i thought you were gonna say laughing at them like haha oh, white person no, it was no like, no no like sucking up oh to my them. gosh like you are so hilarious whatever you're saying we're paying with so much attention and i think that that is still that kind of feeling i think and i don't know about the rest of asia but in singapore that is that kind of white is better oh i can't even uh, uh, the fact that i had to say that i know Um, well uh, like with many countries that were colonized at one point the you know the mentality at the time of being under the empire was to laugh at the jokes and and do what you had to do to impress the people in power so that you got looked on favorably 
Because at some point it would have been like, well, this white family gets to make all the decisions around which of the local families is going to have these positions of power if we laugh at the jokes, if we if we clean the shoes, maybe we will get looked on, you know, a little higher than the rest. And I think it's definitely shaped my upbringing. So I think now there's been a lot of um, kind of movements within Singapore um, it's a very censored place, I would say. But there's been a lot of Instagrams and social media accounts where they focus on kind of racial, uh, racial, racial um, disparities and inequalities. And Rachel, Rachel. they focus Rachel. on that fucking Rachel, Rachel, fucking Damn Rachel, Rachel, um, racial uh, inequalities. Um, and please I think- welcome to the stage, Rachel inequality. <laughs> Yay! As, and I think this is something that I guess I've been talking to other Bit and Peach members about where I think in Singapore, obviously there's a lot of like the stop Asian hate movement going around right now. Well, not right now. It's not a movement. It's just stop Asian hate period. But in Singapore, being non-Chinese, we got a lot of like um, racism from, from Chinese people in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's quite triggering for me. Um, and now we're getting a lot of accounts. People are coming forward, say like saying all these things um, in these kind of social media accounts of these kind of accounts that are not okay from being from jobs to you know experiences in school. So it's something that is still prevalent is um, when you apply for a job, they specifically look for a Chinese person, even though it doesn't really need to be a Chinese person. And we have to work three times as hard and still not get the job because they would rather someone speak Mandarin uh, so that they can fit in with the company culture. So that we are very, there's always been kind of a class divide. And I think being a Malay person, my parents really focus on trying to make us the model minority. And obviously that's problematic as, as on its own. And I'm very lucky for for the academic uh, qualifications that my parents forced me to do. But I definitely saw how other people would treat me and say, you know, like, you're not like the other Malays. You're not like, you know, you're, oh, you're eloquent. And that, I found it that, really that problematic. Compli- that fucking, that compliment. Literally. That backhanded compliment is used so often yeah. to keep, like, marginalized people down. Because you get this weird mentality of being like, oh, I'm I'm better than yeah. the rest of them, or oh, I'm I'm set apart, I'm different, and then it just like inter it internalizes more it really ha- racism, and it's just a mess, a mess. It's- Would you say that some of this has to do with like colorism? For sure, for sure, I think so. I think definitely. Um, if anything, the South Asian community and Indian uh, people in Singapore get a lot more racism than the Malay people. Um, and so I think definitely it's about colorism. And we love our whitening products just as much as all the other parts of Asia. You know, tell, like I was talking to Asia about this recently, about the Likas papaya soap. Have you heard of it? No. It's this like orange bar of soap where you use I to like whiten or lighten your skin so it's all about the it's all these things you think that you know you hear it in the history but it still somehow exists within our current culture and society being lighter being whiter is better and mm-hmm. it's like no um so i think there were a lot of associations with being malay in singapore it's you know we're bad at math 
um, we're good at the arts, we're lazy. It's all these things that were kind of like thrown on to me. And I remember, bless my, my parents, like that would be, you know, someone at the, on the street and be like, well, you don't want to be like them. And it's like, well, I and feel would re- they be pointing at like other Malay people? Yeah, like a, a Malay person that would be smoking and like maybe in a gang. It's all these kind of like weird stereotypes. And I feel really, I feel really displaced. And I think that that's something that I'm going through right now um, with my identity um, on, 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 on a kind of tangent is that I'm not like, obviously I'm not white and I'm Asian, but I'm not Asian that people, that Western society recognizes, you know, I'm not East Asian and I'm not black, but somehow I'm in between all these kind of things. But actually, I exist in my own space. And and you must throw them off with your accent. Exactly. And oh my god, I have a story for you that you'll love. But And then also growing up in Singapore, I almost felt embarrassed being Malay because other Malay people would make fun of me for my accent because I didn't sound like another Malay person. And I just wanted to fit in. Like, I wanted to fit in with my community, which is other Malay people. But I just felt like I was almost sneered at because i was too smart i mean i'm not smart but like i was smarter than some of your peers smarter than i don't even i don't even know what what the comparison mm. is uh, but i i did have an encounter um last year after the whole black lives matter movement um again not a movement just something that happened um someone came into my dms and he he was looking for a performer to illustrate his concept to support the Black Lives Matter movement. His concept was very problematic. He wanted to akin modern day slavery to mm-hmm. slavery. <laughs> um, so there was going to be a person no. at a desk chained up to a oh, desk. No. And then they were going to be freed, I think, by a white person. And then oh. the black person, the, not the person who was chained to the desk, was going to do aerial chains. And it was going to be to freedom by Beyonce. So <laughs> who who was the what the person coming up I, with this I, was I, a was a white person? Of course, a white oh, person. Oh God, on a wheel! <laughs> because you know, slavery and modern slavery—the nine, the modern day slavery—is the nine to five. We're being chained to this. Anyway, the whole oh, premise was problematic, no. and they wanted a. A BAME or POC person, or didn't, you know, like, not specific, could be anything. And they were like, but what are you? Literally send me these long voice notes. It's like, what are you? Um, you know, you, you sound American. Are you Brazilian? Are you Portuguese? Are you Spanish? Um, you know, and to start naming all these things that I wasn't from. And I, oh like, my God. When someone just starts listing things like that, one of these will stick. I'll just keep listening. It's like when someone tries to guess your, um, zodiac sign and they're like, what are you, a Capricorn? Oh, maybe Aries? You know, you, oh, you give me kind of Gemini. Oh, no, you're totally a Leo. It's like, shop. Like, and then we had the audacity to send me this voice note just being like, but, but what are you? And I felt so, less than human at that point and i think in my place as a performer mm-hmm. i um and i so 
as we digress, like I've been trying to break into performing as an aerialist, as a performer for many years now. I've been in London for six, well, eight years, but for six, seven years, I couldn't get anything. And I was trying to, I realized I was trying to cater to like getting these straight jobs. So like all these corporate jobs where you had to look a certain way. And I realized I could never fit that. Only after Black Lives Matter last year, even though it was the pandemic, was the busiest year I've worked. I performed so much last year because all of a sudden people were like, oh, diversity is important and also even if it was you know even if they were whatever it is if if diversity is important if they felt like they were really caring about it or they felt like they needed to i was given a chance and uh, something that i do say as well is that i've only been hired by queer spaces and events which has been amazing i'm i'm here for the queer community it's great but like why can't i exist outside like as a regular being like it's just i mean obviously i i'm very proud to be queer but why is it that it took a movement and it took like and also i only exist within a queer space that it's only being like i'm only being seen and recognized so it's definitely a problem i guess for me anyway straights don't care about diversity there we go that's the song the white straight people don't care and i think for me moving forward and like trying to figure out where i sit in the space is for some reason i'm racially ambiguous and i think that's a problem for me but Someone also, because I was talking to a friend about this, and they said, well, you can pass as a light-skinned black person. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, why? To what? To who? Who? Well, I, I don't think you do. Uh, but if that's the case to someone, like, really? then they need, they, they don't know much. They need to, like, look more closely. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Like, what a mess. That's an interesting note to make, though, because there is kind of this argument yeah. for and against against like racial ambiguity. Someone who is quote unquote racially ambiguous is sometimes able to like navigate the world slightly easier. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what the ambiguity is. Like, if you're a very dark skinned person, that racial ambiguity, even whether or not you're dark skinned Indian or you're dark skinned african-american or black origin like that that doesn't probably allow you that much movement around the world but if you're racially ambiguous in the way of like maybe you're a little bit latino and maybe you're a little bit asian those people do get to exist with a little bit of a a privilege in their like light light skinnedness i obviously benefit from some of these aspects and it, it is this complicated thing of like Obviously, no one has control over their their what how they're read racially. But at the same time, it's like when you aren't automatically read as part of the race and the community that you are from, it does kind of separate you from that community, yeah. even if it's just in other people's eyes. Because if they don't see you and immediately associate you with the race and community that you are a part of, then at least to the outside, you're not necessarily part of that community. So it is it is confusing. Exactly. And also I guess I'm I also identify as Muslim. Obviously 
um, in the, like Indonesian Malaysia, you know, it's a very Muslim populated country. And I think coming here as well, the Muslim population here are primarily from Pakistan or this, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the Middle East, Arab the nations. Middle, exactly. So when I felt like when I did go to the mosque, they would look at me funny because I didn't fit them. And I think that's a whole separate conversation, the idea of religion and ethnicity. And somehow people kind of mix that up, the idea of religion and race. You know, when you think Muslim, you think Arab, you think um, someone clearly from the Middle East. So mm-hmm. I feel all these kind of like identity labels that I thought I had for myself doesn't really, the community doesn't really accept me or I'm not being seen as part of that community. So it's been a very strange one for me to, to see where I fit in. And yeah, like you said, people think that it could be a good thing, but I think it's it's almost debilitating for me because I've been here for so long. Uh, obviously, I'm not, I, I am an immigrant to London, but it's like that sense of belonging is something that every queer every person would love to be to have this mm-hmm. idea of belonging to a community so i think that that's something that i i struggle with a lot being seen for who i am and i think with growing up in singapore and this being seen that less than coming here as well it, it it kind of has that maybe carry on effect of like what is my value am i good enough and you know i recently did this advert for samsung being on the pole mm-hmm. and that was very interesting for me because when they cast me they were saying oh you're perfect you know like your grace your skill whatever and it was like a you know it, and samsung is a big company i was on this i'm on the side of buses i'm on online and everything and for me it was like i felt really weird and uncomfortable because i was like i've never seen someone from my ethnicity and background being on such a global stage you know like whatever stage it's not me and i think obviously we we will come to that question but i think for in i struggle to see people like me Mm -hmm. or where i'm from in a global setting on on mainstream media or wherever it is so for me it's like oh they definitely don't want to see me and i know that that's my internalized thing but for me it's like well why is there no one else that is from my ethnic origin being seen in the media. So yeah, this is just like stuff that I, I, I constantly question. Yeah, because like diversity only goes so far. It's only gone so far from where we are at the moment. Like, you know, people keep talking about Asian representation is increasing and they'll bring up crazy rich Asians till their throats are sore over and over and over. And, you know, we have to remind them that's a very specific... Wait, does that take place in Singapore? Yeah, I was like, we can talk about that next because my uh, my my mentor um, is in it and she's lovely. Well, she was my mentor. I also worked as a set designer for a year back home um, and she's a very famous like theater person. Uh, her name is Tan Feng Hua uh, and she's a very famous... Uh, she plays Rachel Chu, the protagonist's mother uh, that comes in once in a while. Um, and she's like a very famous theater slash actress, um, in Singapore. And, you know, now she's a global sage. But the point is, the point, what is the point I'm making? I don't even know. The point is that Crazy Rich Asians doesn't even represent no. Singapore. It, if you look at the movie, Singapore is multiracial and all it showed were Chinese. Chi- rich Chinese people, like ob- obscenely rich Chinese people. Yeah, um, I, I I got on a on a bit of a pulpit angry about uh, Bling Empire and um, I heard <laughs> and um, House of Ho and those type of programs because right. I'm like, okay, the type of Asian representation 
that I want is not associated with like absolute capitalist wealth. Like, where is the struggling Asian family representation or just the normal middle of the road Asian representation? Well, Give me that. We have that now. I know you, I, I was listening to um, your podcast with uh, Mahatma um, just before we jumped on this call and you were talking about uh, Nora from Queens. I love that show. That's like oh, slack yes, Asian. Yes. I was like, yes. Yes, I was just telling Tin about uh aquafina's nor from queens because that does feel yeah. more like the type of asian families and stuff that i knew even though it's so ridiculous the dad reminds me of my dad because he's asian okay but he's very american yeah. like baseball cap vibes like that is very much my dad's aesthetic so i do want to ask you the a question that i always ask Go. which is if we if we look at the long journey of development that we you and we are all still on um we're talking about representation at this moment so it makes sense to ask who can you recall from your times that stood out as an Asian icon, someone that you looked up to from youth, you know, we didn't have that many options that you saw and you thought, Oh, uh, I had to think a lot about this. I, I don't, I know that this podcast is uh, also a uh, child's angel tribute <laughs> podcast as well. So. <laughs> I'm glad that we are being recognized for what we truly are. Obviously we've had, we've had Lucy Liu, we've had Sandra O. And I think growing up, I really didn't have, I think for me, growing up as a Malay person in Singapore, I saw Chinese people as almost having akin to white privilege. Like that's as close yes. to white privilege as you can, can get within yep. Singapore. So the closest thing I could remember was I, again, digressing. Um, I really was, I fancied this girl, um, and she used to read Teen Vogue. Okay. So I used to read Teen Vogue because I was like, oh, I want to know what she's uh-huh, reading. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and the only Asian person I remember seeing was Kimora Lee. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she had a line called Baby Fat. Yes, she did. Like, Baby Fat with a P-H. <laughs> Baby. Oh, my God. Kimora Lee. fabulous <laughs> so that was the, I mean I I mean is she like would she be a queer I, she's the only Asian person I could remember it doesn't my, have to be a queer person <laughs> just Asian period just Asian just an Asian so that's icon the person I would remember youth. from my youth Kimara Lee baby that advert I was like who is this fabulous <laughs> woman I don't even know what to describe her. How would we describe Kimora Lee? <laughs> is she mixed? Um, I believe she is Korean. Fully Korean. You know, who's to say? Who's to Kimora say? Lee Simmons. Let's do my favorite thing, and we go to uh, her research. Instagram. She is... Oh! Bitch! She is she's like, half yeah. black. Okay. She's half black. Okay, so. she's what we what we sometimes say as Belasian. I didn't know if we could still say that. We can still say that. I mean, we can't, but if she okay. wants to say that, she can describe okay. herself as that. Pe- uh, do you know what sounds worse? People yeah. used to say when I was young, Blackanese. And I think that sounds a lot Ooh. worse than Blasian. That's worse. Blasian That's just sounds like, like cool, doesn't it? Like, I'm just blazing it's down the street. Bla- exactly. So she, she was the only Asian person I remember growing up in my childhood. But I think the closest person I could think of 
that I resonated with as a late teen was Mindy Kaling. Yes. Um, in Mindy, the friendly project, you know, she was, I was talking to Mahatma about this last night, but like, for sure, like it, she's not East Asian. And I think the Western society has a long way to go to, to also understand that there are the parts of Asia that are not just East Asia. So, so yeah, I think, even in, like, I've talked about this on my Instagram as well before, like, even as a Southeast Asian Malay person, when I go to describe my ethnicity, it's, you know, it's British Asian, it's, you know, East Asian, it's all these different Asians, and then I'm stuck under other Asian background. Yeah. Like, I'm not even on that list. Yeah. So it really makes me question, you know, am I Asian enough? Uh, you know how to be seen as asian so yeah that's a lot of questions that those questions that we have to answer all the time for equal opportunity yeah. stuff is so it's so so limiting and yeah. it really does drive me mad because it's like they just group all the asians together like what what is british asian what is East Asian, what is South Asian, what is any of it? Who knows? What does that serve you? What are you take what how does this represent your equal opportunities form? What does that say? So t- they like, can just tick their t- diversity box. Now, um Mindy Kaling was mentioned by Krishna in a recent episode as well. And okay. at the mo- at that time, she didn't get into the into the Pokedex. But I okay. think she's now been brought up twice. I think it's time Mindy it's Kaling time. be adopted into the queer Asian Pokedex for her her quirkiness, her Asianness, her blending of her cultures. She's in. Did you watch Mindy Project? I watched The Office. Okay. That's how I originally know her. And I've seen her in other things. Right. I saw her in Ocean's 8. <laughs> but I I I don't know. Whenever the Mindy Project was on, I don't think I was watching TV in the same way that I had been previously. Okay. Now that we've gotten the queer Asian Pokedex Perfect. out, I think I think it's time. I I have another proposal of someone that came up in today's conversation that I think probably needs to get entered in. And that is Mark Kanemura. Yes. Oh my god, thank you. I mean that yes! As a young kid, that that was definitely yes. What is big what, moment? Yes, definitely. And he went on to be one of like for a period of time he was one of Gaga's main exactly. dancers, and then has become like his own icon on the internet, okay. just being gay as hell. Uh, amazing. So we honor Mark. We honor Mindy and Kimora Lee. <laughs> and oh, I forgot. <laughs> yes, we honor Kimora Lee, Blasian Queen. So very exciting. We have three icons all entering in, but that's not where we're going to pull the plug. Yeah. You get to now choose one. Okay. You get one choice of a queer Asian cultural artifact that should be documented from now till the end of time. I want to pick something from my culture to represent. So Mm. I'm going to say it's, it's this particular dress it's called the something and you wear it as part of part of your like celebratory dress and it's me it's basically like malay jacquard and i'm obsessed with it i love it and it always has like gold needlework and thread and it was kind of worn as like a for men it was worn over like long pants as like a like a wrap like a shorter wrap so not like a sarong but like a shorter so it's like, like a shorter cousin of the sarong it's called the something and it's kind of like a like a kilt height so above the knee but over pants 
Mm, okay. Um, so that would be it. I think so. And is it is it a specifically male item? Uh, I would think so. Unfortunately, but the fabrics that but the, it's were made. I'm lo- I've I've it. just done a little googling. They're like very decorative oh, okay. and floral see. and colorful and stuff, right? Exactly. It's it's opulent, is what I would say. It's yeah, it's always opulent. It's in this iridescent shades, and I I have some, and they always cost quite a lot. I don't know how much. My mom says it costs quite a lot, but we're, we're not from like a rich family. So I have one with me that I've been dying to make into something else more queer. Because right now it just exists as this particular, in its particular format. But I wanted to make it as a costume that I would wear mm. um, to kind of celebrate my identity. But I think my mom would freak out. First of all, um, I'm not, well, I'm not out to my parents. So surprise, uh, for various reasons. Uh, so... Second of all, she would probably kill me because that was a very expensive piece of clothing. So they don't so, see yeah. any of the footage from the performances. <laughs> oh, they're blocked on Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that that's, I mean, that's also something um, that I think I struggle with. Like, basically, I wanted to do fashion since I was a kid. Um, so again, from Teen Vogue, I, um, I would see this advert of Ralph Lauren and I was like I want it to be that waspy white kid with like the sweater vest with the chinos and the khakis and the jopers and and like I was my parents would never buy me clothes I was like I'm gonna be a fashion designer so I can dress like this white kid Mm. and then I think moving from that I went into dance and aerial so then obviously that was like in my mom's mind ranking it's like a dancer is worse than a fashion designer. So when I became a dancer, she's like, what happened to fashion school? So uh, then I began, I went to fashion school. Right. So there's always a, and then <laughs> now they've seen me do stuff, performing and stuff, but not obviously as the queer performer I am now, just from like, you know, in training. And they've never acknowledged it, that I am good at what I do, but they're still hope. I think they're still praying and hoping that I have a full-time job, whatever that looks like. <laughs> so that's a whole different story mm-hmm. but on a tangent i think i was talking to someone about the idea of children i don't know how i feel about children uh, com- complicated but if i were to have a child uh, child they would be you know learning russian they'll be doing gymnastics they would be also learning trombone they'll be doing everything because they need to be ahead they need to be better than and then i had a friend who is white and british and they came to me and they're like or you could love your child. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) That's how you show love. (laughs) They're going to be the best. We're not going to say we love them at all. (laughs) We have to make them have every possible opportunity in this life, every leg up possible by making them do every single extracurricular under the sun. On literally. Parenting advice from Zaki. (laughs) Thank you. How to be, as we call tiger mom. That's the term, yes, the official yes. Next year's year of the tiger. I think it's time to turn on our inner tiger mom. There moms. we go. Now, we know that your parents are blocked on the social medias, but the rest of the world is allowed to come yeah. find you. Tell them where to find you. So I am Zach Attacked on Instagram. That's Zach Attacked with double Ks, double Ts, double Ks, and an ED. The reason being was because I really wanted Zach Attacked, but of course Zach Attacked is a very common name for anyone named Zach at all. So I was like, let me just try all the combinations until I get one that hasn't been used. So there we go. <laughs> and then it just kind of stopped. And I always ask our guest, our honored guest, 
who has, you've given us such wisdom and new entries into the Queer Asian Pokedex, but I'd like you to send off our listeners with a final word of wisdom or a so long and a goodbye in a language of your choosing with whatever your final bit of, of, of life and love and words are. Chumagase! And that does it for another Bitten Peach pod. Throw it in the pot. The Queer Asians will be back at it again next week as we continue to fill the Queer Asian Pokedex. In the meantime, you can find us on social media, on the Instagram at Bitten Peach Pod. Please, please tell your friends to listen and give us a review, why don't you? The white straight people don't care.